0: The Law School of America A tax protester is someone who refuses to pay a tax claiming that the tax laws are unconstitutional or otherwise invalid. Tax protesters are different from tax resistors, who refuse to pay taxes as a protest against a government or its policies, or a moral opposition to taxation in general, not out of a belief that the tax law itself is invalid. The United States has a large and organized culture of people who espouse such theories. Tax protesters also exist in other countries. Legal commentator Daniel B. Evans has defined tax protesters as people who refuse to pay taxes or file tax returns out of a mistaken belief that the federal income tax is unconstitutional, invalid, voluntary, or otherwise does not apply to them under one of a number of bizarre arguments, divided into several classes, constitutional, conspiracy, administrative, statutory and arguments based on 16th amendment and the 861 section of the tax code see the tax protester arguments article for an overview law professor alan d madison has described tax protesters as those who refuse to pay income tax on the basis of some nonsensical legal argument that he or she does not owe tax an illegal tax protest scheme has been defined as any scheme without basis in law or fact designed to express dissatisfaction with the tax laws by interfering with their administration or or attempting to illegally avoid or reduce tax liabilities. The United States Tax Court has stated that tax protester is a designation often given to persons who make frivolous anti-tax arguments. Tax protesters raise a number of different kinds of arguments. In the United States, these typically include constitutional arguments, such as claims that the 16th Amendment to the Constitution was not properly ratified or that it is unconstitutional generally, or that being forced to file an income tax return violates the Fifth Amendment privilege against self-incrimination. Others are statutory arguments suggesting that the income tax is constitutional but the statutes enacting the income tax are ineffective, or that Federal Reserve notes or other relevant currencies do not constitute cash or income. Yet another collection of arguments centers on general conspiracies involving numerous government agencies. Some tax protesters refuse to file a tax return or file returns with no income or tax data supplied. Origin of Term In the United States, the term protest is applied to a tax generally means a declaration by a payer, especially of a tax, that he does not concede the legality of a claim he is paying. Similarly, Black's Law Dictionary defines a tax protest as. The formal statement, usually in writing, made by a person who is called upon by public authority to pay a sum of money, in which he declares that he does not concede the legality or justice of the claim or his duty to pay it, or that he disputes the amount demanded, the object being to save his right to recover or reclaim the amount, which right would be lost by his acquiescence. Thus, taxes may be paid under protest. At common law, and under some earlier tax statutes, The filing of a protest at the time of payment of an erroneous tax was a requirement in order for the payer to recover a refund of the tax at a later time. In the case of U.S. federal taxes, the rule was abolished by Congress in 1924. Under the current Internal Revenue Code of 1986, as amended, the taxpayer's failure to protest does not deprive the taxpayer of the right to file an administrative claim with the Internal Revenue Service (IRS) for a refund, and if the claim is not allowed by the IRS. To sue for a tax refund in federal district court, the term protest is also used to describe a taxpayer's formal written request for review by the appeals division of the IRS after the IRS issues a 30-day letter proposing an increased tax liability following an IRS examination of a tax return. In 1972, the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Pennsylvania used the term tax protester, protester in United States v. Malinowski. This case however, involved a taxpayer who was a member of the Philadelphia War Tax Resistance League who was protesting the use of tax money in the Vietnam War. The taxpayer was not making arguments that the tax law itself was invalid. He was essentially protesting the war, not the tax. The taxpayer had filed a false form W-4 and admitted he knew that he was not legally entitled to claim the exemptions, allowances, he claimed on the W-4. Thus, Malinowski might be termed a tax resister rather than a tax protester. He was convicted, and his motion for a new trial or acquittal was denied. A person could be both a tax protester and a tax resister if he or she believes that tax laws do not apply to him or her and also believes that taxes should not be paid based on the use to which the taxes are put. Some tax resistors have put forth legal arguments for their position, For instance, that they cannot pay taxes for nuclear weapons development because this would put them in violation of the Nuremberg Principles, that could be considered varieties of tax protester theories. Beginning in the mid 1970s, U.S. federal courts began using the term tax protester in still another, more narrow sense, to describe persons who raised frivolous arguments about the legality of federal taxes, particularly income taxes. This particular technical sense of the term is the sense described in the remainder of this article. History. United States. While there have been people throughout history who challenged the assessment of taxes as beyond the power of the government, the modern tax protester movement began after World War II. One of the first people to fit this description was Vivian Callums, a Connecticut industrialist and political activist who specifically protested monthly tax withholding. In 1948 she refused to withhold taxes from the wages of her employees, based on the claim that the government had no power to require such withholding. The IRS then seized the money owed from her bank account. She brought suit against them and, in a book she wrote, asserted that she won, although she did not challenge the constitutionality of tax withholding itself. The Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals stated that people are attracted to the tax protester movement's illusory claim that there is no legal requirement to pay federal income tax. The court called the tax protester arguments wholly defective and unsuccessful. Ideas associated with the tax protester movement have been forwarded under different names over time. These ideas have been put forth, for example, in the broader Christian patriot and posse comitatus movements, which generally assert that the Constitution has been usurped by the federal government. The tax protester phenomenon is not restricted to the United States. Similar arguments are raised in the context of other legal systems in other countries, although it is more notorious in the United States tax system. It has been noted that tax protester theories originating in the United States, such as denying the authority of courts, have spread into Canada. As with cases in the United States, the courts have uniformly found these arguments to be invalid, and often incoherent. Arguments In 1986, the Seventh Circuit observed, Some people believe with great fervor preposterous things that just happen to coincide with their self-interest. Tax protesters have convinced themselves that wages are not income, that only gold is money, that the 16th Amendment is unconstitutional, and so on. These beliefs all lead, so tax protesters think, to the elimination of their obligation to pay taxes. Arguments made by tax protesters in the United States generally fall into several categories, that the 16th Amendment was never properly ratified, that the 16th Amendment does not permit the taxation of individual income, or particular forms of individual income, that other provisions of the Constitution such as the first, fifth, or a missing thirteenth amendment eliminate an obligation to file a return, that citizens of the states are not also citizens of the United States, that the statutes enacted by the United States Congress pursuant to their constitutional taxing power are defective or invalid, that the tax code does not apply to inhabitants of U.S. territories, and that the government and the courts engage in various conspiracies to conceal the above deficiencies. Outside of the United States, Tax protesters raise similar conspiracy arguments, claims that they are not citizens under the jurisdiction of the court where the claim is brought, and claims about the validity of statutes imposing taxation. Such arguments are usually summarily dispensed with when presented in the courts. For example, the Fifth Circuit once noted We perceive no need to refute these arguments with somber reasoning and copious citation of precedent, to do so might suggest that these arguments have some colorable merit the constitutionality of our income tax system, including the role played within that system by the Internal Revenue Service and the tax court, has long been established. Is a hodgepodge of unsupported assertions, irrelevant platitudes, and legalistic gibberish. In that case, the court viewed the tax protester arguments as sufficiently frivolous to merit the imposition of sanctions, in this case twice the cost spent by the government in defending the litigation, for even bringing them up. Similarly, A Canadian tax court judge found claims asserted by a tax denier in that court to be an absurd blend of the ridiculous arguments. Unintelligible, incomprehensible, meaningless, irrelevant and factually hopeless. Penalties. In the United States, protesting federal income taxes is not, in and of itself, a criminal offense. However, a number of offenses arise from failing to pay taxes that are due, and from repeating arguments that have previously been invalidated by the courts. Frivolous Tax Returns. The United States Congress has, however, enacted Internal Revenue Code Section 6702 in an effort to deter tax protesters from filing frivolous returns. This statute was enacted as part of the Tax Equity and Fiscal Responsibility Act of 1982. The penalty under Section 6702 is a civil, non-criminal penalty and is $500 for positions taken on or before March 15, 2007. For positions taken after that date, the penalty amount has been increased to $5,000. The Internal Revenue Service has issued a list of positions considered to be legally frivolous. Shauna Henline, Senior Technical Coordinator of the Frivolous Return Program at the Internal Revenue Service, has testified that the IRS receives about 20,000 to 30,000 frivolous tax returns per year, and that approximately 100,000 related letters and other documents are received each year. In some cases, taxpayers have argued that Section 6702, the frivolous argument penalty statute, is itself unconstitutional. That argument was rejected in Hayeswinkle v. United States, taxpayers' arguments, that Section 6702 and 6703 violate both procedural and substantive due process because there is no right to a prior hearing, and that the word frivolous is unconstitutionally vague, were rejected. See also Pillsbury v. Commissioner, A case in which taxpayer Liesel Pillsbury's argument, that Section 6702 violates the Fifth Amendment Due Process Clause of the Constitution, was ruled to be without merit. In that case, the court also ruled the following taxpayer arguments to be invalid. 1. The argument that Section 6702 is an unconstitutional bill of attainder. 2. The argument that Section 6702 unconstitutionally authorizes the imposition of cruel and unusual punishment. 3. The argument that Section 6702 unconstitutionally violates the doctrine of separation of powers, and, 4. The argument that Section 6702 unconstitutionally violates the taxpayers' First Amendment rights to petition the government for redress of grievances. See also Duke v. Commissioner, tax protester argument that 6702 was unconstitutional was rejected by the Court, Kane v. United States, Taxpayers' Argument that because Section 6702 does not define the term frivolous, the statute is unconstitutionally vague, was rejected, and Hudson v. United States, taxpayers' arguments, that Section 6702 unconstitutionally violates taxpayers' First Amendment rights, that Section 6702 violates due process rights by failing to provide a hearing before assessment of a penalty, that Section 6702 is an unconstitutional bill of attainder, and that Section 6702 is unconstitutionally vague, were ruled to be without merit. Frivolous Litigation in United States Tax Court and Appeals of Tax Court Decisions In 1939, Congress enacted Section 1117G, entitled Proceeding Frivolous, of the Internal Revenue Code of 1939, giving the Board of Tax Appeals, now called the United States Tax Court, the power to impose a civil monetary penalty of up to $500 against any party who instituted a proceeding merely for delay before the Board of Tax Appeals. In 1954, this provision was continued with the enactment of Section 6673 of the Internal Revenue Code of 1954. The current version of Section 6673, in the 1986 Code, provides that frivolous arguments may result in a penalty in U.S. tax court of up to $25,000. Similarly, the Internal Revenue Code also provides that the U.S. Supreme Court and the federal courts of appeals may impose penalties where the taxpayer's appeal of a U.S. tax court decision was maintained primarily for delay or where the taxpayer's position in the appeal is frivolous or groundless. Frivolous Litigation in United States District Court In a non-criminal case in a United States District Court, A litigant, or a litigant's attorney, who presents any pleading, written motion or other paper to the court is deemed to have certified that, to the best of the presenter's knowledge and belief, the legal contentions are warranted by existing law or by a non-frivolous argument for the extension, modification, or reversal of existing law or the establishment of new law. Monetary civil penalties for violation of this rule may in some cases be imposed on the litigant or the attorney under the federal rules of civil procedure frivolous litigation and various other appeals. Congress has enacted Section 1912 of Title 28 of the United States Code providing that in the United States Supreme Court and in the various courts of appeals where litigation by the losing party has caused damage to the prevailing party, the court may impose a requirement that the losing party pay the prevailing party for those damages. A person who raises a frivolous argument in a federal appeals court may also be subject to monetary penalties under Rule 38 of the Federal Rules of Appellate Procedure. In one 2007 case, for example, the Seventh Circuit issued an order giving such an attorney 14 days to show cause why he should not be fined $10,000 for his frivolous arguments, based, in part, on Rule 38. Frivolous Filing of Misconduct Complaints. The Guiding Light of God Ministries, A tax protester group organized by Eddie Ray Khan filed about 2,000 official misconduct complaints against employees of the IRS. Some tax agents reported that these complaints had influenced their supervisors to order them to back off from audits and collection efforts against members of the group. The lowest School of America. The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation, incorporated under a Creative Commons Attribution-Share Alike license. The text has been modified for audio.